0: inspires me most is that we work with a lot of people who are young who are just trying to get a sense of who they are. There's so many people that they walk into their first Vector summer one person and they walk away a much better version of themselves. We give people at Vector a great opportunity to be independent and we give them a great opportunity to be very personally responsible for themselves. Unlike most other jobs or most other opportunities that people have at that formative stages in their life, I'm just hoping that they walk away a little bit more empowered to pursue their passion and their dreams that hopefully have a big impact on our society. The people that stick with the job, I find that they have this really transformative experience.
1: Over the past 28 years, Mike Muriel, has had a number of transformative experiences, both on and off the job with Cutco. He's had wake-up calls that inspired him, experiences that developed him, and mentors who taught him. Throughout the course of his great career, Mike has continued to evolve into the best version of himself and to help countless other people to do the same. This conversation details the experiences that have transformed Mike's life And shares insights that can help transform yours this is cutco vectors central region manager mike muriel welcome to changing lives selling knives i'm your host dan cassetta there's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world Hello, everyone. We're here today with Mike Muriel, the Central Region Manager for Cutco and Vector. Mike has been with the company since 1992. He grew up in Chicago, a graduate of Williams College in Massachusetts, and lives just outside Chicago now with his wife Donna and their two boys. Mike is a leader who is known for things like courage and boldness and resolve and who really stands for excellence in everything he does. I'm really grateful to be able to have him on the show here today. Thanks for making some time, Mike.
0: Good to see you and glad to be here also. So thank thank you for making the time. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's dive
1: right in and uh, talk a little bit about how you got started with uh, the Cutco Vector business, because your story is a little different than many others. You were not a college student. You had just graduated uh, from Williams College. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how
0: and why you got started with Cutco at that point. Yeah, I was one of those people that had really never heard of Vector uh in while in college uh i came to realize that my cousin had actually sold some cutco he's a couple years younger than me so i'll get to that maybe a little bit later but you know it was 1992 the economy wasn't doing so hot i changed majors twice in college and i was a political science major i ended up rounding it out with a political science major i ended up working for the then speaker of the House of Illinois, who is ironically still currently the speaker of the House of Illinois, which is <laughs> kind of crazy. It's Illinois politics, and um, and then I ended up working on the Clinton campaign very early. I, I had a chance to you know interact uh, with them in, in New Hampshire. It was right you know right by Massachusetts, and then at that it was it was again it was right around January ish, maybe February and then i just had a, a, a i guess a heart to heart moment with myself and i just said you know i don't feel like government or political consulting is really the direction i want to go so most of my career uh, most of my college time after i changed majors finally was was thinking i was going to go into government maybe political consulting and then that all just really shifted so i was a little bit at a loss of like hey what do i do now as a second semester senior uh, i had friends you know interviewing at investment banking uh, companies and I was like, that is not where I see myself. Uh, my closest friends wanted to teach, and, and three of them are still teachers. And I, while I love teaching, it just wasn't going to afford me, I think, the lifestyle that I wanted. And so I really was kind of at a loss, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Japan. I've studied Europe. Uh, my parents are from South America. I travel there a bunch. And I was like, I don't know that I'm ever going to go to the Far East ever again in my life, let alone for four months and uh so I, I booked a flight to japan in september i graduated in june and then uh probably should have booked it earlier but i was like okay wh- what do i do now and i opened up a, a newspaper the chicago tribune and back then people looked at newspapers actually and i circled an ad and, and called in and i remember being in the interview and i was like i think this is what my cousin did and uh, and then i went through training and i remember there was, a, there was a guy that stopped by his name was danny lewis who is uh, still a manager with our company. And, um, he stopped by with a kid that I knew from grade school and I just walked out of training. I kind of caught them in the hallway and I was like, all right, man, everybody's, you know, this seems like kind of like, like too good to be true. Maybe like a scam, but like the kid that I knew just goes, no, it's really good. You'll do well with it and just, just do it. And he's like, and he was, he was the younger brother of of a friend of mine that I'd known in high school and college. And, um, and he was like, "Just do it." And I said, "All right, fine. I'll, I'll do it." And then I, I I sold Cutco that summer. You know, I made thirty five hundred bucks again back in nineteen ninety two dollars. Uh, and then it, it, towards the end, the manager that I worked with said, "Hey, I think you'd be great for management." I was like, uh, "Okay, maybe that's something I'll consider." I'm going to Japan, <laughs> and I'll look you up in four uh, four months. You know, Dan. Back then, again, there was no internet, uh, there was no cell phone, so I hey. literally had. Zero communication with anyone, right? And then, and then I came back, and my mom. This is, I'll I'll kind of wrap it up with this. My mom had been called on the phone, right, <laughs> on the landline phone, multiple times by the cousin of a customer of mine, and and she was just like. I got to get some cutco and so my mom like literally the day i got back from japan I was like you have to call this lady <laughs> she's, been, she's been you know asking me a lot for your you know, information and just do this cutco demo and i was like i'm done i'm not, not selling knives anymore this is not really what i want to do i ended up doing one demo and i loved it it, it was really kind of a funny situation uh, the guy offered me a couple of shots and i was 21 and <laughs> <laughs> we, did a, we did a couple shots and uh, sold some Cutco, had a blast, had some fun. And I was, you know, I was, again, at that point, I was thinking about, do I want to go into political consulting? You know, I, I was really at a loss of what I wanted to do. And uh, my brother, who just graduated from law school, said, uh, you know, if, if, you, uh, if you enjoy what you're doing, just keep at it. Because I have friends that are in law school that just graduated that, that don't like being attorneys, but they're doing it just to, just to pay law school. And that was really great advice that he gave me. So I just, you know, at that point, I just continued because I liked the culture. I liked how I was growing. And uh, there was some neat advancement opportunities. So that's uh, that's kind of the gist of uh, how I got started.
1: And then you went into management relatively quickly, right, over the next one year?
0: Yeah, I did. I I, I was really fortunate. I I had the opportunity to work uh, really quickly in succession under two different division managers. Uh, They were at the top of their game also. And, um, they, they really kind of opened my eyes to, and they were both very young and and they both opened, they both opened my eyes to, you know, what was possible while working here, not only for myself, but what was also possible in terms of, to your point, changing lives while selling knives. It was, you know, I was, I was seeing their impact and I actually felt my own impact uh, from them in terms of growing a lot. So I said, Hey, this might be a place where I might hang my hat for at least the time being, you know?
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, there's so many people that I think are out there working and maybe even succeeding in something that they don't enjoy doing. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, going through years and years and years of something like that. And it's cool that uh, you found something that you liked and were good at and had good influences and good mentors right out of the gate. Um, tell us about some of your early experiences um, over those first few years and just some of the lessons that came out of them.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, again, we're, we're going back uh, to 1994 to 99 when I was district manager. I'm getting a little older. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember those days nearly as well. Uh, maybe I partied a little too much in my 20s. But, uh, you know, I, I think a couple of things. One is um, I had some, I'm going to call it moderate success. In other words, relative to some other people, I was doing decent. But really, I wasn't doing that great at the job. And I had a good attitude about it, which I think that that's uh, that's an important component in you know being successful. But you also have to have the blocking and tackling, as they say. Like I just I, I didn't really know how to do the job, and so one of the early lessons was to find people that are doing well in what they do, and that that's a lesson that's really served me well in everything, whether it's you know learning how to sail or yoga or playing golf or whatever. It's really trying to align yourself with someone that you know, is an expert at what they do and then following their, uh, you know, not only their guidance, but even just like their, their mannerisms, their, their way of doing things. And I think, um, my initial, I'm going to call it lack of success was greatly aided by, you know, following other people. And and our culture is very much that way where we're a sharing culture. So I think that really helped out also.
1: That's great. I've heard from a lot of people about just the importance of uh, aligning with successful people on the reference group and the positive examples that Vector has, because there's so many of them in this company that we are, that we're able to to see and model after. And so um, it's, it's uh, great that you were able to have those, those influences right there. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about those today. You had a pretty transformational experience uh, about 22 years ago or so that I know you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think you're talking about, uh, there's, there's two situations that happened, uh, when I was 27, uh, that, uh, really sh- reshaped how I thought about things. L- let me backtrack for a minute. Also, I, I you know, between, uh, I'm going to call it 24 to 27. I was, I was, I wouldn't to call it tapping into my potential, but I really wasn't, wasn't leveraging my potential. And, uh, you know, when I look back at my 20s, when I, a lot of things I try, we work a lot of young people and uh, I try to tell them in my, my 20s, my biggest regret is that I didn't think bigger and I didn't really act bigger. And uh, so at around 27, uh, I, I lived in a pretty safe neighborhood and I was walking home from doing uh, some martial arts class. So I was actually feeling pretty, you know, pretty, I guess, strong and, you know, you know, manly right there in that moment. <laughs> And as I closed my car door, this is no joke. As I closed my car door, I was like, you know, it's pretty good that I take, you know, lessons like this because I can, you know, I can handle myself in in any situation that arises. (laughs) All right. And Dan is a little bit with the the rest of the story. I lived in a coach house. It was a house behind a house in the Wrigleyville area. And uh, I was walking down the uh, in between these two really large homes back to where i lived in the coach house and i heard the fence rattle and i was like in my i grew up in chicago so i was like oh someone probably just got their purse stolen or something like you know something bad just happened and then i kept i took like one or two more steps and then a guy goes you know give me your money and i i was like what (laughs) who's who just said that you know and i turned around and it was a guy standing there you know like give me your money and i was like i'm gonna this guy doesn't know who he's messing with, right? So I start (laughs) start walking over towards the guy and then he pulls out a gun. And I was like, whoa, you know, everything got real, really fast. And, you know, everything slowed down very quickly. And to make a long story short, uh, I gave him $20 and I had a lot more cash on me. You know, we we peaceably walked away from each other, but it was an incredibly traumatic experience where, I, I, for about 30 seconds or so, and it was on kind of a decent sized street. I was hoping, like, the police station was like a couple blocks away. Uh, I was hoping that someone would see, you know, something and call someone, but, you know, that wasn't my luck that day. And, uh, and so the guy walked away with uh, twenty dollars, and I fortunately walked away with my life because you know i even I, at one point I said something stupid it was like it was like if you better if you shoot me you better kill me because i'm gonna I'm gonna kill you if you shoot me so, something like that <laughs> I, I, I was so offended by you know <laughs> by his trying to you know be a bad person so so that happened, and uh you know the next couple of weeks were you know a, a little little off, and I was really you know maybe you know, kind of just feeling different about uh, my experience and then and then within those couple of weeks it was uh it was in the winter i was driving home from my office on a road that i had taken i couldn't even tell you how many hundreds of times probably before and the road had a like an s shape to it but it, it was a blizzard so i couldn't see the s and i must have just been focused on you know just you know mindless driving or whatever And I apparently I went straight off the road, but there was so much snow that I didn't notice that I went off the road. And then there was like a a ravine, but there was this one solitary post, not even like a lamppost. It was like, like a, like a stump of a post. And I, I must've hit the thing going 30 or 40 miles an hour because it sheared the, the wheel on my driver's side off the axle. So my car slammed into that. The, I, I had glasses on at the time, and the uh, the airbag, you know, popped open. My glasses ended up in the very far corner of the of the car. The car somehow was basically like I, I was able to actually get out, which was unbelievable. But the car was almost as if it was contoured towards my body. Wow! I walked away, you know, without a scratch. Um, I called my buddy because I didn't want to call my parents and you know freak them out. And I called my buddy. So my office was about an hour away and he drove down and he was like, dude, he's like, you should be dead. (laughs) And it really like the, the post, had I not hit the post, I would have for sure gone off into this ravine, which is probably about, you know, 20 foot drop. It was a blizzard. So probably no one would have seen me, you know, I would have been sitting there, you know, who knows, maybe broken legs, arms, who knows, maybe even worse. But I walked away from that experience, you know, again, two weeks after or so the, uh, the gunpoint experience. And I was like, all right, uh, these are signs, you know, (laughs) I I start really living my life here. And I, I think I just got a little bit bolder and, uh, and and started really, uh, you know, as they say, sucking the marrow out of life a little bit more. Um, and I, I think I just, uh, I, I started to, I think even just my interactions with people i i you know my boldness probably empowered them i found that to be the case that from from my mentors i've gotten energy and then we give energy to people and uh our office really took off that year in fact uh i think we were you know the summer's a big time of year for us we were one of the if not the top the top office for some of the weeks uh we were in the top five offices and, and that's something that had never happened at that point in my career um and, and that was that was pretty neat uh Need experience have gone through. Unfortunately, um, fortunately, I you know lived to tell about it. But uh, you know, I, I think there's other ways to go about getting those lessons.
1: Yeah, and no kidding. It, it's uh, it's interesting to think about a guy becoming bolder who is already bold enough to threaten a guy with a gun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I might have been stupid there, Dan. That was, uh, I was in my twenties, right? <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I, I like what you said about the difference between just tapping your potential and really, really leveraging your potential. Um, I feel like that—that—that's a switch that people can flip. Um, that's actually not that difficult to flip to go from being you know average or okay at what we're doing to being great, really great at what we're doing. And it seems like those couple traumatic experiences were you know part of the nudge that you needed uh, to be able to flip that switch and be able to, you know, find your, your inspiration to take your life and your business to a higher level. Not everybody, not everybody has that happen.
0: Yeah. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, and, and that's, I always tell people, uh, you know, there's two ways to learn. You can learn from your own experience, which it seems like my life at that point was kind of, I needed the experiential learning or you can learn from the experience of others. So hopefully, uh, Hopefully again this uh this story is a vignette for for someone to you know use that experience you don't need to have that uh, that happen to you.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think if people can put themselves into the future and look back and say, you know, how how would I feel if my life continued on this trajectory that I'm on for the next 10, 20, 30 years, I, I think a lot of people would say, well, I, I don't think I'd feel that great. And if yeah. you can realize that when you're 20 or 25 as opposed to when you're 40 or 50, yeah. uh, then then we're able to make the changes to to move our lives in a positive direction. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I can remember about you is uh, a period of time in vector marketing in two thousand four two thousand five. Our company had essentially quintupled in about a decade. Ironically, coinciding exactly with when you started working here, maybe you were the catalyst, Mike. We <laughs> we had quintupled over a decade. And, uh, and at that point, the company experienced some growing pains. Um, we had to change a lot of, a lot of methodologies to kind of update how we operated and not everybody adjusted to those changes, you know, in an effective manner. And we struggled a little bit. Um, and during that time, Mike, you and your organization, uh, were a beacon of excellence and achievement and, and you inspired the entire company. And um, I I think it'd be instructive for us to talk about, you know, what were some of the qualities or what were some of the actions that enabled you to thrive during challenging times?
0: Thanks, Dan. Um, And uh, so a couple of things that I was thinking about as as you asked this question, you know, I think a lot of times um, we don't really see the growth happening. And, you know, I, I remember you know, I became a division manager in 1999. You're talking about 2004, 2005, you know, those first two years of division manager, I, I think I, if I wasn't the worst division manager in the company, I was certainly in the, the bottom, bottom 10 out of, you know, 30 or 40 at the time. And I, I really, again, got very serious. I, I, I really uh, listened to the, the top two managers. We had a system of a uh, it was called VectorCom, but a system uh, that you'd remember, a system of basically, you know, hearing some best practices from the two of the top managers in the company, and they would send messages to their managers on a daily basis. And, you know, they'd leave about 30 minutes of messages a day. And so for about an hour a day, I was just listening to these two, you know, just really talk about their strategies. But it wasn't just their strategies, it was how they approached their business, how they approached you know, mentoring their people and developing leaders within their divisions. And I think... Who who were these guys you were listening to? Mark Lovis and Rick Castro. And uh, to this day, I I really find myself even uh, kind of uh, quoting uh, things that they've said. And um, they were really formative in in how I saw myself in a new role. And so... To uh, you know, so so that was that you know that was happening for a couple of years prior. And, and sometimes I think, in my experience, and I think other, I, I watch other people. Sometimes they don't realize that they're really growing yet, you know, what, because they're not getting the result just yet. So that that had been happening. The other thing also is uh, someone phrased, you know, what's in your abundance toolkit? They, you know, her name's Betsy Crouch. She actually sold uh, sold Cutco also. And, um, you know, I was, I I started really getting serious about a couple of different areas of my life. Also, you know, one was my, my health and exercise. Another one was meditation. Uh, Another one was journaling. Another one was really just kind of practicing, uh, you know, acts of gratitude and, uh, you know, journaling gratitude even. And um, I'm going to do a quick aside. Those, those four plus there was another one. I heard this uh, speaker uh, talk about acts of kindness. Those five, Qualities just make people happier if if you you know exemplify those traits and those and those behaviors and so that was also kind of happening at the time and so I was really going through a lot of growth leading up to that point and so I think what happened there is I you know in, in that time is I got I got really um, I got serious about working I got serious about my own personal growth and I think the the rest of the organization that I was working with also got very serious about their growth what i what i found is that uh i found that uh if i'm growing as a leader my people are growing as a leader also and vice versa when i'm not intentionally growing um they're not intentionally growing either and so th- those are factors that were happening prior to this time that you're talking about and you know when when this happened this kind of like uh, challenging time so to speak uh, happen, uh, you know, our, our organization just really didn't, there were some beliefs that I thought were were not necessarily true. I think a lot of times we have these beliefs that, that we think are really impeding our success or, you know, uh, hindering our results. But often it's really, you know, they're not really true. Uh, but if we believe they're true, then they, they really stop us from succeeding. So I think those things happen. Um, we really start, We really didn't pay attention to what the prevailing you know, limiting beliefs were, that's one thing. Hmm. Another thing also, there's a guy uh, who works with our company. His name is Greg Strine. He's one of our leaders also in the company. He he runs a division, uh, one of the top divisions ever in the history of the company. And, uh, you know, he, he, he put something in my ear. We innovated on a position that had never been in our company. It's called the division recruiting assistant. And the, the title doesn't really matter, but he said, Hey, I really think that we would, we would benefit by having, this person helping, uh, because we were in a little bit of a transition to your point. And, um, and so I really partnered with that person and I poured a lot of energy into making sure that that person, uh, not only was tactically proficient, but also had the mindset. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard before that, uh, success is 80% psychology, you know, 20%, uh, you know, tactics, so to speak. And so I was really trying to help him get there and that's really what we worked on you know during that time frame and the other thing that that really helped us was uh we fostered a very collaborative culture and so people were really willing to share ideas they were willing to share best practices because they knew that uh you know the rising tide would would raise all boats and uh you know i think those are some things that really, really really helped us uh during that time frame
1: yeah that aspect of collaboration I think is such a critical element of dealing with change um, because the leader doesn't always have all the answers, but when your people are involved, answers come much more quickly and it was interesting that greg was was the one that sort of led to you guys developing that role of the of the uh division recruiting assistant and and I know that had a huge impact, and it's something that spread to to the rest of the company. I was reminded of a couple quotes as you were talking uh, one of them was uh, a, a Jim Rohnism where he says, everything affects everything else, right? As you worked on your health habits and you worked on other habits, you know, outside the business, your business habits became stronger and you you're, you became more consistent. And, and what I also thought about when you said, you don't really see the growth. Um, I'm sure we can relate to that with like kids, you know, when you see the kids yeah. every day, you don't really realize how much they're growing. But when you compare a picture from one year to the, the next year, you're like, whoa, you're right. Um, but um, the, the, uh, it's an old quote from James Allen um, in the book, As a Man Thinketh, where he said, circumstances do not make a man, they reveal him. And I think that your growth was revealed in 2004 and 2005. Yeah. A, a lot of work that you did for many years, the fruits sort of came out during that time. Um, and that's something that I think can be encouraging for a lot of people that maybe feeling like they're putting work in and they they haven't yet had that breakthrough, that, uh, that the breakthrough is, is inevitable. The more that you continue growing personally and, and growing your skills and growing your knowledge and improving your attitude, um, the breakthrough is inevitable
0: for people. Yeah. I, you know, I think far too often, you know, our culture and, and even just, you know, the co- corporate America is, is focused on, you know, the, uh, earnings report and the, you know, they're, they're really focused on getting short-term immediate results and, you know, Eastern philosophy is this much longer term thinking and they're really focused, you know, when I think about Eastern philosophy, I'm thinking about like Zen, you know, Zen practices. They're, they're really focused on devoting themselves to the process and mastery of the of, of the thing, so of the skill set. And, I, and 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 I think that's the other thing that uh, you know we both have kids. You know, when I think about some, some of the things I, I want our kids to really uh, walk away with is, um, and also the people that I work with is you know really really be, be become passionate about getting better at something, uh, and because the the result will eventually happen, and it happens at a different pace for everyone. So patience is also really important um, if you're. If you're going to be, uh, you know, aspiring to get some, uh, a certain result.
1: Yeah. So I know one of the people that I wanted to talk about with you who has been a significant influence and mentor in your life is Marty Dimitrovich. Yeah. Marty was the central region manager when you started, right? He had, Correct. Your job yeah. now, mm-hmm. um, and for anybody who is either new with Vector Cutco or not in Vector Cutco, um, Marty Dmitrovich is widely known as the most beloved leader uh, in the history of our company. And he was taken away from us prematurely because of a uh, pancreatic cancer. Um... And I know that was a a difficult time for many of us who who knew him and who uh, work with him, but especially for you, uh, you know, as having had him as a mentor. But I would love for you just to talk a little bit about what you learned from Marty and just some of the things that you gained in in observing and and working with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really pretty surreal that I hold the position of the man that I revered so much. And uh, I actually, looking, there's a photo of him. That that I have in our in our office, there's a quote right in front of me. I mean, I'm literally looking at a quote and a photo of him. It, it is really just to remind me of uh, the house that Ruth built, so to speak. It's the mm. hu- I, I, I'm living in the house that Marty built. Um, when I think of Marty, you know, we it's funny because on on social media, you know, you have you know a thousand friends or whatever. I, you know, to give you a perspective, Marty was the gee, he was just like the coolest person I I may have ever really known personally and 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 when i say cool it was not only just in terms of how he carried himself uh his his style how he interacted with people but it it, it i'm going to tell you the story about the the friends he had a, he threw a party uh again as you mentioned he had pancreatic cancer and he was like you know what i'm going to why don't i why don't i why don't i raise funds and do a philanthropic a philanthropic thing out of this and uh, and 1000 people showed up i, I don't I don't know that I would ever have a thousand people show up to anything. I, I would, even if I paid people a thousand dollars, I don't know that I would have a thousand people that I know show up. And, um, I mean, that just tells you a lot about, about the man. He really had a, a far reaching, uh, impact on so many people. It's funny because again, he was, uh, like I said, he, you know, he was a very stylish dresser. I remember there was a, it was a men's clothing store, uh, in Chicagoland that, uh, recently closed down. He had the guy that he shopped with, all right? And Marty had, you know, more suits than there were in the, in the month, all right? And he had the guy that he shopped with, but I one day walked into the store and interacted with a guy who, who actually, I still uh, buy clothes from today. And this was, again, this was 20 some years ago. I, I said, hey, is, is Dog here? That was Marty's guy. And he goes, no. And I go, he goes, how do you know Dog? I go, well, I work with uh, Marty Dimitrovich." He goes, oh, Marty. Wow, that guy's amazing. One time I dropped clothes off to his house, and he was the nicest guy in the world. He like let me you know he had me go to his house and this was a you know this was a, a salesperson at this store who had one interaction with the man you know he 'd probably seen him before but and, and he was so you know uh flattering in in terms of the experience that he had with marty that 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 tells you a little bit about who he was and how he carried himself. Another thing also just that I really, uh, you know, I could probably stand to do this a little bit more. I, I made a pretty big mistake, which we're not going to get into on this call, on this call. but uh, I made a pretty big mistake early in my career. And, uh, we were at a conference and I, the next day I was golfing in his foursome, you know, he kind of looked at me and, and he, and he said, so, you know, let me tell you the story about myself when he made a mistake when he was young mm and it would have been so easy for him to just kind of rip into me and call me every sort of name but he really just was like you know hey we all make mistakes let me tell you about the mistake i made he was just an incredibly humble person also and on top of that he was uh, his passion and his competitiveness was was so uh, palpable to everyone that uh, you know to this day there are many of our executives and leadership who at one point worked with him. And uh, because I just think he, 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 he was just uh, the type of person that really elevated others. So yeah, thanks for asking the question. It, uh it's a nice reminder to, you know.
1: Yeah, he was such a good example of how to treat people, uh, an amazing leader. You talked about passion and humility. So many of the traits that, uh, that we all aspire to. Yeah, um, that that uh, you were able to see right there from him. Who else uh, besides Marty? Who else in your life has been your greatest inspiration?
0: My parents, and uh, I'm going to call it my parents and my I'm going to call it aunts and uncles. So my my parents are from Bolivia. I think I mentioned that earlier. Both of them, uh, they moved to the United States in '63 ish or so. And my father was a physician, and he and about twenty other uh, at that time it was Bolivian men doctors also moved here. Now, they did not speak English. And it really blows me away. Again, I went to Japan, and I didn't speak Japanese at the time. And it was really discombobulating. And I was just traveling. I was vacationing. I wasn't trying to raise a family, let alone have a profession. And their example, it just blows me away. They were all incredibly hardworking people who reached high heights in their profession. I'm going to share a quick story about my dad. My dad ended up, uh, you know, again, between 1963 and about 75, he ended up being the bears doctor. Um, I, I think he was there when Gail Sears broke his leg. Uh, I remember going to white Sox. He was, a, he was a white Sox doctor. Also. I remember like, I was like seven years old, you know, a ba- I was a baseball player and meeting goose gossage at the time. It was like, it was nothing. And, uh, And then uh, a few years later, he became the Commissioner of Health of Chicago. So it was like, uh, what is it, 63 to 79 is, I think, when he became the Commissioner of Health of Chicago. And just their example in terms of a willingness and a fortitude to just get get the job done and and really make the most of the opportunity that America affords uh, really is, you know, they're all really also very humble people who uh, were very grounded despite uh, a lot of success that they had you know, professionally. And they, they did a lot of work uh, philanthropically. They, you know, we would routinely have relatives and or people that we knew from Bolivia, you know, in our home for, I, I'm on, honestly say like months at, at a time. Um, they were there for, you know, medical procedures that they needed done or, and, and they just, that whole community, it was a really amazing experience growing up with, uh, a lot of, uh, I'm going to call them my cousins, uh, the, the whole time. So.
1: That's a great story, Mike. I really appreciate being able to hear that about about your folks. It's uh, interesting. We have in common immigrant parents. Yeah, mine came from Europe. They're both born and raised there, and and came over in their twenties. And and uh, and yours from Bolivia. Like that's uh, that's really neat to hear. So, Mike, the uh, the theme of this podcast is changing lives, changing lives, selling knives. And you know, as you look ahead into the years to come. Uh, what are some of the ways that you aspire to change the lives of the people around you
0: through your work or through your influence there 's seven point five billion people on the planet right now, and at least to me, it seems like life is getting increasingly more uh, not only interconnected but i 'm going to say even complex and the, and the problems that are that we have today I think have uh, because of the interconnectedness and because of the population, it just seems like th- there are a lot more serious ramifications of decisions, good and bad, that we make as a society. You know, when I think about what we do and what inspires me most is that, you know, we, we work with a lot of people and we work with a lot of people who are young, who are just trying to get a sense of, uh, of who they are. And I, I, there's so many people, again, I'm going to use myself as an example, that they walk into their first Vector Summer, one person, and they walk away, to use the term from Matthew Kelly, a much better version of themselves. Mm -hmm. One of the things we were told when we had kids, someone said to us, if you want to raise responsible children, give them responsibility. So that's one thought. And then I'll get to that in a second. And then the other one at our our kids' school, they say that, they, they call it, this is a mistake making place and i love how the two of those we give people a at vector a great opportunity to be independent and we give them a great opportunity to be very personally responsible for themselves unlike Mm -hmm. most other jobs or most other opportunities that people have at that formative stages in their life and When I think about, uh, we also give many people who end up running an office as a young person and uh, their first entrepreneurial experience. So when I think about, you know, the future in in terms of, you know, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see us, again, partnering even more with the communities in terms of helping people understand the leadership components that that people really gain while they're working here. You know, when I think about what are the things that are going to most impact, you know, the, the challenges and the problems that we have in the future. Number one, it's, you know, leadership, right? And I really feel like that, that's something that we teach people, you know, sales alone, people, in order to solve problems, they need to be able to, you know, sell the idea, they need to be able to communicate the idea, and they need to be able to, you know, garner a coalition. And I think that that's such an important skill. In addition to that, Solving problems is not an easy thing. And we give them the opportunity to, to really fail, right? And I think everyone knows that sales is a tough job where you have to kind of, where you're going to have a no sale and you're going to have no success every once in a while. And we uh, we give people the chance to experience that in a really safe and comfortable environment. We have a great product, obviously, so it's easier to sell, but you know, they have a chance to really, uh, as Angela Duckworth talks about, to, to get grit and to learn how to be gritty, and uh, and so I, I love that we are also teaching people how to have initiative and solve problems and, and be goal oriented. And so, look, I, I know that most of the people that we work with and interact with while they're uh, here, sometimes they're just going to work with us for a short time frame, and I'm just hoping that they that they walk away, you know, a little bit more empowered to you know, pursue their passion and their dreams that hopefully have a big impact on our society or even smaller impact that impacts someone else. And clearly, you know, for me, that's why uh, I'm so passionate about the job because I I had that experience and I've seen countless people into the thousands now have similar types of experience. And, you know, the job's not for everyone. So not everyone has this amazingly transformative experience. But the people that stick with the job really... I find that they have this really transformative experience. And so uh, hopefully that answers you know, some of your question there.
1: Yeah, Mike, uh, you know, as a longtime colleague of yours, I can definitely say that you exemplify those traits and qualities that you're hoping to bring to your people. And uh, I've, I've always admired you as a great leader. I find you to be a, a deep thinker. Uh, I find you to be a fierce competitor. And that's an aspect of our relationship that I've always enjoyed. I think it's amazing what you're doing with your organization. You run an organization that I believe encompasses parts of like 15 or 16 different <laughs> states. And, uh, and, and you're growing your business rapidly, uh, having a huge impact. And you're just a great inspiration, as I've said, to me and to our entire company. So um, I want to thank you for taking some time to uh, be with me today. I really appreciate it and uh, definitely have gained some great insights from being able to hear
0: your stories, and listen to some of your lessons. Well, thank you, Dan, also. Uh, and, uh, it's been fun uh, working with you, and uh, again, my pleasure. Thanks again.
1: All right, that was Mike Muriel, Central Region Manager for Cutco Vector. It was very cool to hear the experiences that transformed Mike's life and career, being held up at gunpoint, the near-death car crash, and Mike took these experiences as signs. They were signs that he had to go beyond merely tapping into his potential to really leveraging his potential. And, And there's a great lesson in and of itself right there in that, you know, why do we have to have a traumatic experience to really be able to become the best version of ourselves? We don't. We can do that merely with making a decision. And that's what Mike is trying to inspire so many other people to do nowadays, to make the decision to be the best version of themselves. Mike was also greatly influenced by the legendary Marty Dimitrovich, from whom he learned so many great ways to elevate other people. And Mike has become someone who set the pace in Vector, who courageously led his own organization through challenging times, who has inspired our entire company, uh, really a quintessential leader in the truest sense of the word. Another theme that he talked about was the idea of short term versus long term. Are we doing things to be expedient or are we doing things to be successful in the long term? And our mentality around this is borne out daily in the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. And so something you might consider right now is did you win the day today? Did you win the day today? Because that Answer says a lot about where you are headed in the long term. I also really like where Mike said, if you want to raise responsible children, then give them responsibility. And of course, this applies to so many aspects of leadership, not just parenting, right? What do we want to help our people become? Are we putting them in positions to grow? Are we truly facilitating that growth in the people who are around us? Are we giving them responsibility? Are we offering opportunity to be able to elevate themselves? A great leader does that more than others do. Great stuff from Mike Muriel, a truly amazing leader. I hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Until next time, see you later. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast.